Wow, forever mine. What a blessing. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I don't know how your week was, but does anybody remember the word cloud graphic images that were used corporately and even in study? Word clouds, there were these images of you throw all the main words from a section up on a graphic design and the biggest words were the words that were used the most prominent. So if you had an image in your mind, jumbled up words, the words that were the biggest were the words you used the most or thought about the most. Uh, some of us, I'm convinced that uh, many of our big words this week point to God. Um, we, all of us probably wish every week our big words pointed to God, but I think for some of us, you had a week where you're like, man, just, pastor, I don't want to say I nailed it, but I was pretty close, right? If you looked at my word cloud, I, I think you'd be impressed, right? Maybe that was your week, or maybe you're a human, and, uh, no, just kidding. Maybe your week didn't go quite that way, and, and your big words, your word cloud looks a little differently. In fact, maybe it might look as though uh, there's no real evidence that, that God is, is maybe on your mind or heart based on some of the words that we use. Uh, it's important, I think, to think about that in a way, not in a condemning or way, but in a hopeful way that there's always today. Today's a new day filled with new mercies and a chance to speak of the goodness of God. What we say matters. And what John focuses on, even as the Holy Spirit is anointing him and, and God is the author and John is the author together writing the Holy Scriptures, John is hammering down, as it were, on this concept of life and what life really is and what it's not. The uh, slam dunk contest, I know, me in the sports, right? Like, what, where are you going, Pastor Chad? I saw footage from the slam dunk contest recently this week. There's a guy who's only had two years in the NBA, and he was doing stuff that was like, I'm pretty easy to impress with the sports things, but let me just tell you, I think this would impress even the ardent dunkers in the room. Who are my ardent dunkers? <laughs> yep, I see that hand. Mark, thank you, brother. Um, Bob, you, me? So um, this guy was just spinning around. He jumped, he ran and, and jumped over two people. Somebody had somebody on their shoulders and he leaped and cleared over the top of them. Like just to forget the ball and the hoop, just jumping over two people on show. Who does that? So he's being called the goat, right? The greatest of all time dunker. And he's like, I don't know, is he 12? I don't know how old the kid is. Anyway. So I'm just watching this and I'm thinking about these terms and, and, and these words that are used in ducking and you hear these great terms batted around, they keep comparing him to other people and can he fly and all this stuff. And then we come to like a passage like this and I want you to understand when we come to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a goat. He is the greatest of all time. He's one of the greatest men and examples of men in Jerusalem at the time. He's one of the greatest Pharisees of the time, and he's one of the greatest members, most distinguished members of the Sanhedrin at the time. I'll get into all that in just a moment. But, but make no mistake, John is emphasizing life, and he comes to somebody that seems to have it all together. You heard Jeremy read a phrase that I don't know how it set with you, the two words, born again. Now that has all kinds of connotation in 2023. 
In fact, in one of my classes that I'm taking right now in a leadership course, one of the public speakers that was there says, I, I don't describe myself, I don't use the word Christian. I like Jesus follower. Okay. And then he says, I particularly don't like the word born again. And I'm like, well, that, he says it sounds a little hokey. Well, it might sound hokey. I get that because of what's been done to the word, but Jesus used it. And, and so, guess what, church folk? We're a little hokey. It's okay. Jesus said we're a peculiar treasure. And, and so let's see what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus, one of the greatest of all times. I mean, if anybody looked good, Nicodemus looked good. The question before us this morning is, is what really does it for us? What, what enhances? What, what is the key to our living relationship with God? Here it is. Is it religion or regeneration? Are you religious or have you been regenerated by God? Because you can look good and be lost. Nobody looked better than Nicodemus. Let me caution you this morning, those of you seasoned churchgoers that have been in church for a long time, years and years. Some of you are struggling to think of how many services you've sat in, how many years you've been in church. There are two ways that you will approach the text for today when we talk about being born again. One way, I think, is soul searching. You'd ask the Lord to shine the light on your own soul. Search the scriptures so that you'll know that you'll have eternal life. I, I hope that's you this morning and that it'll be soul-searching for you to realize you have friends that are lost and this stuff matters. The other way I'm afraid it's easier to slip into is what I call almost an arrogant apathy. I don't care about the born-again stuff. Man, give me something that'll help me succeed at work. Wrong place. I'm not here to help you be happy, healthy, and wealthy. I'm here to stand guard for your souls. And so is Christ this morning. There's just no possible way that everybody that professes a relationship with Christ possesses a relationship with Christ. There's too little praying. There's too little evangelism. We still have too much stuff, if that's the case. Let me give you a few headers for our time this morning. The first thing I'm going to have you write down is this. Religiously, he looked good. I mean, you can look good religiously and nobody looked better than Nicodemus. In verses 1 and 2 of our text this morning, we see a word used a couple of times. I'll bring attention to it again in a moment. But it says there was a man. And then it says of the Pharisees. And then the description is used a ruler of the Jews. Do you see it right there in verse 1? Now there was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. Let's meet Nicodemus. Ready? He's a man, he's a Pharisee, and he's a ruler of the Jews. As a man, Nicodemus thinks he's doing well. He's a man. Now, not only is he a man, he's an exemplary, moral man because he had to be to hold the job and the title and the distinction that he had. You're probably not more moral than Nicodemus was. I mean, he dotted the I's and crossed the T's. The problem is, he's a man. He's a human being, <laughs> okay? And the Bible says that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all of us because all have sinned. That's Romans 
Six verses later in Romans 5.18, the scripture says, one trespass, one rebellion against God led to condemnation for all men. So if he's a man, he stands numbered among the men who are sinners that need a savior. His morality will not keep him out of hell for eternity. Your political party that you align with may be the most moral. That won't keep you out of hell for all eternity. You may do all the right things and keep all of the laws of the land and even the Ten Commandments. But that's not enough because the reality is if you offend in one point of the law, you've offended in all of them and we are all sinners by birth and by choice. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one of us to our own way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. At the end of the day and at the beginning of the day and in the middle of the day, Nicodemus is an image bearer, but he is not a child of God yet. He's a man. He's a human that needs a Savior. As a Pharisee, he, uh, he thinks he's doing good. So as a man, I think he thinks he looks good. And as a Pharisee, I think he's doing good. He thinks he's doing good. Judaism teaches that the Old Testament has 613 commandments that must be obeyed. 248 do's and 365 don'ts. How you like that? There's a don't for every day of the year. Hey, don't do this, don't do that. The Pharisees were a group of about 6,000 men who were committed to obedience. In fact, when they were inducted uh, to become a Pharisee and the witnesses of uh, three people around them, they would publicly profess that they would keep every detail of the law until they drew their final breath. Now, the Pharisees were so concerned about obedience, they made up additional rules, because 613 weren't enough, to help them not accidentally disobey or miss one of the 613 that they felt they had to command. They did this because they were serious about religion. They were dead serious about religion. They were zealous to obey. I mean, if you had a Pharisee for a kid, parents, let's just be honest. I mean, we knock on the Pharisees all the time, but man, if your kid came up to you and said, Dad, I think I wanna be a Pharisee when I grow up. You'd say, praise God for an obedient child, right? <laughs> You'd be like, hallelujah, we'll work out your salvation later. But yes, honey, yes, let's be a Pharisee at home. Go clean your room, whatever it is. I mean, there were no more obedient people than the Pharisees. You might be religious this morning. You might even look good religiously and think you are doing good at religious things, but you're not more religious than Nicodemus was. You might look good morally, but you're not more moral than Nicodemus was. The Bible says in Acts 17, 24 through 27, the Lord God who made the world and everything in it, he's Lord of heaven and of earth. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He's the one that gives mankind life. He's actually not far from those that are feeling and finding their way toward him. Nicodemus thinks he looks good as a man, 
and, and thinks he's doing good as a Pharisee, and then he's described as a leader of the Jews, and I'm sure he thinks he's leading others well. He's leading others well. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. This, this is a group of about 70 men from different walks of life, but all very devout in their faith. Listen to me. They had jurisdiction over every Jew on earth. They were the ultimate in righteousness. They were selected by invitation only. They couldn't lobby for position. By invitation, they were invited as righteous men to lead impartially and to decide and adjudicate on behalf of the Jewish nation. When Jesus said that he was a teacher of Israel, this means by that title that Nicodemus was likely the best teacher in all of Jerusalem. I mean, you were name dropping if you said, we're going, guess, where we're, guess who we're going to go here this week? Who are you going to go here? We're going to Nicodemus's. Oh, I didn't know you could even get in there. Is it the 11 o'clock or the 2 o'clock service? 11 o'clock was full and we had to fill out a thing online to even get into the 2. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, he was the greatest teacher in all of Jerusalem at the time. There's also evidence that Nicodemus came from an aristocratic, uh, aristocratic say that three times fast, from an aristocratic family that traced their lineage back to the Maccabees. So, I mean, like, from every angle in Nicodemus' life, every time you shine the light and look around, this man looks good. He's got it all together. And he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, rabbi, man, we've heard some stuff. We've heard some stuff. And you've got to be from God, but we've heard some things. T- tell me, tell me, like, what's, what's up? What's going on? Y- you might be an influential leader in your respective field, but you're not more influential than Nicodemus was. Y- you might have a lot of responsibilities, but you don't have more responsibilities than Nicodemus did. And yet with all of this, he lacks understanding. He's seen some things. He's heard some things. He knows some things. He knows the Old Testament surely well. But, but he can't get all of his questions answered. He can't find out what he needs to find out until he comes to Jesus. And neither can you. You can search in every corner of life for humanity. You can be the greatest humanitarian alive and still miss the main thing. You, you can be the most religious person at Grace Covenant Church, a Bible church and still miss the main thing. You can be a leader among leaders and still miss the main thing. You need Jesus. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and we come to our second header this morning on verse 3. The reality is, even though he looked good, he was not good enough. I mean, there was probably, except for Jesus Christ, it's safe to say, at that time, alive on the face of the planet, I doubt there was anybody more moral, more upstanding, and more righteous from an earthly standpoint than Nicodemus. It's not enough. Jesus answered him in verse 3. You got to love it. He goes straight for the jugular. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we know that Jesus knows the hearts and minds of others. We see that at the end of chapter 2 and all throughout. John brings attention to that. But he cuts right to the chase here with Nicodemus. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. 
Yanao Anothen. Regenerated, born, that's what that word means. Parented again, birthed is the word. And that Anothen is from above and again. So two meanings there. Galatians plays with another side of that meaning with the word, but it's, it means born from above and it means born again. And both work. You cannot experience, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you cannot experience the kingdom of God now as a child of God unless you're born from above. And, and you cannot experience the kingdom of God for eternity in the not yet unless you are born from above. Your understanding will never move you beyond this point unless you are born above. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough human to get it. You're not a religious enough Pharisee to get it. Your status in society is not enough to get this. Your righteousness as a member of the Sanhedrin is not enough to get this. Although Jesus is direct, we're reminded very quickly he's not on the same level as Nicodemus. Jesus had come from above, hadn't he? He is from above. He's calling Nicodemus to be born from above. Here's the line. You ready? What does it mean to be born again, Pastor Chad? What does that even mean? Here's what it means. It is a spiritual transformation that takes a person out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's marvelous light, and it happens as God works on us on the inside. God changes us from the inside out. It's not religious externalism. It's not somebody putting a list of things in front of you and you going, uh-huh, and you're suddenly a Christian. No, it is a radical change of life, and it is evidenced by repentance and trust in Christ. Tell me about when you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ. I've never done that. You're not born again. I don't need a time like you say, oh, do you need a precise time on a day and a day, month, year? I, I, I'm not pinning you down on that. I, don't, I can't do that. Scripture doesn't do that. But you ought to have a life that points to repentance, a hatred, a growing hatred of sin. Not everybody else's, yours. And you ought to have a life marked with a growing trust in the King of glory, the lover of your soul. That's what children of God do. That's what born-again Christianity looks like. Nicodemus has lived his entire life thinking that his religious credentials, that his lineage, that the fact that he's of the chosen race is going to earn him a spot in God's eternal kingdom. And in one sentence, Jesus obliterates that and says, you must be born Again, you're not good enough. Let's look at the last heading here. It covers the rest of the verses, but regeneration is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. If we're going to be children of God, if we're going to live forever with Christ and rule and reign with Him and be in a place in eternity with Christ, if we want that life that is promised, the old timers used to say, if you want to go to the heaven the Bible talks about, you got to get there the way the Bible says go. And we need to be born again. 
Are you sure are worked up about that, Pastor? Listen to me. Hear me, Grace Covenant family. My job is not just to teach you as though we are in an academic setting stuff from this book. My job is to illuminate, show you what the book says, right? Yes. To dive deep in that, to expound upon the scriptures. But my job is to point you to Jesus. I want you to leave this place saying, what a savior. Not what a lesson. Jesus begins to unpack in a conversation with Nicodemus about what this looks like. There's some back and forth in verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus says, well, how can a man be born again? Can't you just hear that? Like him going into that actual mode? You said born again. That doesn't make any sense. You know, Jesus probably didn't get frustrated as I would. um, But I can just wonder Jesus being so patient and loving and kind and saying, you know what I don't mean, Nicodemus. And then he kind of unloads that on him. He says, don't, don't get so worked up on the grammar of the syntax here, Nicodemus. You need to be transformed from above. And he keeps driving that home to them. He thought that uh, getting into God's kingdom had everything to do with his physical birth. He thought that uh, it was enough to be the extra that he had added into all of his life. He thought uh, as a leader he was good to go. And Jesus turned all that upside down and he kept doing it. In verse 7 of our text, take your Bibles and look there at John 3 and verse 7. He says, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows as it wishes and you, you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We've all met people who like to split hairs or split doctrinal hairs over the semantics of salvation. And say, well, actually, with the sovereignty of God, it starts here. And and then somebody else says, well, with the free will of man, it starts. And then people get into all this. Here's what Jesus said. You must be born again. Let me just sum it all up for you. You must be born again. Are you born again? You know, I try to do my best. That sounds like Nicodemus. Oh, oh, I'm faithful and true. I never, I'm here every Sunday. You're not, (laughs) because I see. But um, um, neither am I, right? None of us are here every Sunday. I do all the religious things. That sounds like Nicodemus. I'm a leader among leaders. I've got influence. I have a position in the church. That sounds like Nicodemus. Tennyson catches this idea when he penned this poem that says, Oh, for a man to rise in me that the man I am may cease to be. We, We can't get there by ourselves. God has to radically make us something we are not, and he does that when we are born again, born from above. There's an Arabian story that goes like this. It kind of is a chicken little story, if you will, from from that uh, part of the world. This young Arab was traveling along a road on his donkey and saw something furry. All my vet ears are going up, I know. Erlen wants to be with you. What's furry, Dad? She saw something furry on the road and couldn't see what it was. Gets off the donkey, goes up to it, and it's a little bird. And he thought, oh, the little bird's dead. Let me move it out of the road. The bird wasn't dead. The bird was just laying on its back, a little sparrow, with its feet sticking straight up in the air. Okay, this is not true. The bird's about to talk. I just want to prep you like it's a story, right? (laughs) I'm not reading scripture here. The bird's laying there with its feet up in the air, and the, the, the young Arab Ben says, um, are you okay? He said, yes, I, I'm fine. Um, what are you doing? <laughs> he says, well, um, 
What do you mean? He's like, well, why are you laying on your back with your legs pointed straight up in the sky? And the little bird says, I heard a rumor that the sky was falling, so I'm holding it up to support it. To which the young man says, you surely don't think that you're going to hold it up with those two scrawny legs, do you? The sparrow, after a very solemn look and serious thought, says, I'm doing the best I can. Right? You got the picture. That's what us thinking that our relationship with God depends on our religious experience. I mean, like thinking that we're good enough, we're going to earn this thing. That's like you trying to hold up the sky with two scrawny legs. It doesn't work that way. There's too much. You can't stand under the wrath of God on your two scrawny legs. You need Jesus Christ to make you new. You need to be born again. It doesn't make sense once you encounter Christ that you would step away and and not be changed. And yet Sunday after Sunday in churches after churches, watching stream after stream, some of you are streaming all manner of things. You're listening to Christian radio. You're doing all that. Those are all good things, but, but they don't save you. Nicodemus needed an internal transformation. Now, this is a man that knew the scriptures. And sitting in front of him is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. I mean, Jesus is telling him, we're we're going to do this thing that the prophet spoke of. Here's what he says in Ezekiel 36, the Lord speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We read that like it's some kind of devotional thought. God is speaking to a nation that constantly went whoring after other gods. God is speaking to a nation that constantly turned their back on the God that delivered them from the slavery of Egypt. God is speaking to a people that were constantly in a state of rebellion and hatred toward this God that gave them breath. And he's saying, I'm going to do something in you and for you and through you that you can't take credit for. That's what being born again looks like. I think we think we're good people and God needs us on his team and thinks, you know what, hey, man, that flip is something else. I'm going to get him. That's somebody I want on my team. No, we are desperately wicked on our own. And God in his grace and mercy and inexplainable kindness reaches down and opens our eyes and convicts us of our sins. And we see Christ as holy in ourselves as in need of a Savior. We say, wash me, Lord. My religion is nothing, God. My, my, my good morality is, is nothing, God. That's, that's not going to earn me anything, Lord. The fact that I lead or have a position or title, is, is, is not, I'm not going to heaven because pastor is in front of my name. I'm going to heaven because I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Have you been born again? Not how long have you attended Grace Covenant? Have you been born again? Not how long has your religious experience taken you on a journey? In verses 14 and 15 of our text in John 3, Jesus does something that is absolutely, oh man, you talk, if you're at all into literature and love reading, you should just explode with all the good feels with this. I mean, this is just so beautiful. 
Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For Jesus to go here with Nicodemus is just breathtaking. <laughs> it's breathtaking. I'm gonna try not to preach or nerd out on you. I'll try to be as brief as I can. But listen, this is just, this is one of those things you go, oh, this is amazing. He's pointing back to the episode in, Ex- or rather in Numbers 21 of the fiery serpents. Do you remember this? So Israel, like, having, I would say a bad day, but let's be honest, it was a normal day. They were rebelling. They were complaining. And, and this particular time, they sin in an egregious way. Hear me carefully. They sinned against God by the way they treated the leader that God had clearly set up to lead them. And the Lord sent venomous snakes as judgment against them. Moses, under God's direction, created a bronze snake and puts it on a pole and lifts it up and tells the people, anyone who looks upon the snake, on this one that I'm holding up, this fake snake, as it were, will be healed and not die. Now that sounds strange, right? That's not something, that's not been on the news recently. Of all the stuff on the news, you've not heard of anything like this recently. And if you have, please come see me afterwards. I'm curious, right? What news feeds are you watching? Uh, Babylon B, maybe, but nothing other than than average, okay? So anyone who looks on this pole will be saved. The pole wasn't forced on them. It wasn't, they weren't bludgeoned about the head with the pole. They only had to look toward Moses. Their looking back toward Moses was an act of repentance, saying we need something we don't have. We look to you. That's what they were doing. We recognize salvation is there, my dear friend. I know it's maybe the stuff that nightmares are made of, so I'm going to try to shift this so you don't have nightmares about snakes. Um, But I want you to see the glory in Jesus taking Nicodemus here. I want you to think of those snakes as sin. Think of those snakes as sin. We have all been bitten. Every one of us have been bitten. We've all been infected by this terrible disease. Our sin-sick souls are headed toward death and destruction. The Bible tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I want you to think of that bronze snake that Moses made as Jesus. So it wasn't a snake. It was made from something else, but it took on the form of a snake. Different substance, form of a snake. Jesus Christ was not sinful. He never sinned. There was no guile in his mouth, but he became sin. He became the serpent on the pole for us. Romans 8.3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. For our sake, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ redeemed us from the curse, Galatians 3, of the law by becoming the curse for us. In the Old Testament, all who looked with a simple look of faith were saved. With Christ, all who believe with childlike faith are saved. Believe. Trust. Cast yourself on the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast yourself on the mercy of God as a sinner who needs Savior. Well, what do I have to believe, pastor? Well, you believe that God exists and he's revealed himself in the scripture. You believe that you are a sinner in need of a savior. 
You believe that nothing you can do can earn salvation. You believe that Christ is the only hope for your salvation. You believe that when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Master, His blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You believe that you are complete in Him. But here's the deal. You probably won't fully grasp all that when you just, as a child, put your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm amazed at how preachers, after we've been preaching for a little while, and seminary students, after they've been in seminary for about 10 minutes, want to require people to be able to write a doctoral thesis in accuracy so they can know that they're saved. Uh uh. That's not how they got in. That's not how I got in. That's not how you got in. Here it is. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. You must be born again. And Christ has extended open arms to you on the cross. Also as a resurrected king saying, for whosoever will, will come. If you are drawn toward Christ, don't you dare walk out of this building today without making sure that you are born again. Because it's all that matters. It's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Your morality doesn't matter. Your religious experience, who cares? The fact that you're a leader among men means nothing if you're not born again. Jesus says, whoever believes, just look. Look on me like the Israelites looked on the snake. Don't wait like some of them did. Some of the Israelites perished because they waited. They looked for anything but Jesus to be their salvation, and they perished. Don't rationalize. Don't don't, uh, try to reason it all out. Some of those dying Israelites in Moses, they died believing that they could find another way. There is no other way. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Just look. Don't believe. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to have perfect faith. Just cast yourself on Christ. As one preacher says, don't look at the look. Just look at Christ. If you have a repentant spirit this morning, if you realize that Christ took your sins on the cross, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The word is near you this morning. For some of you, it's in your mouth and in your heart because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Julia's going to come and she's going to play for a few moments on the piano. That's not just a transition piece to get to the final song. This morning, like every other Sunday morning, I'm hopeful, but this morning of all mornings, let's take our time. You have nowhere to be that's more important than right here, right now, dealing with the question, am I religious or have I been regenerated? You you might think you look good this morning. You're a good human. (laughs) You're religious. You have influence. All the indications that your life is heading in the right direction. You must be born again. No matter who you are, when you stand before God, when you stand in heaven, 
The only thing that will matter is whether you've been transformed from the inside out, born from above, saved by Christ alone. You might be here this morning or watching online and you look awful. (laughs) You know you're not a nice person. You can't stand religion. You hate church and church people. You have no real and lasting friends and little influence and everything in your life seems like it's falling apart. Guess what? You're a wonderful candidate to be made new. You also must be born again. Religion won't cut it. Are you saved? I'm available. Others are available. If you want to come and talk and pray, we can do it. We will take our time this morning. But let's take our time and do business with God. Let's pray. Father, we long for our lives to make much of Christ. We long for our lives to point people to you and you alone. Lord, I pray for Grace Covenant Church that you would do a faithful and lasting and fruitful and deep and abiding work, Lord. I'm so encouraged by so much of what I see. So encouraged by how you're moving in our midst. Sunday after Sunday, what an incredible thing you're doing here. And yet, Lord, I know that there are some who are comfortable with religion. Father, would you convict them of their sins this week in a way that makes it almost inescapable that they must fall on their knees before you like that poor tax collector, and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. As we sing now, Lord, I pray that we would lift our voices as a folk who have been born from above. In Christ's name, amen.